0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Roast West Coast Podcast, Season 2 Edition. Today's episode features my conversation with Jay Rusky. Jay is the founder of Fringe Coffee and an organic farmer in Goleta, California. Jay describes himself as a farmer, but he does so much more than that. He's also an educator, a CEO, and now a coffee innovator. Fringe Coffee grew out of Jay's original farm, Goodland Organics. While looking to diversify his crops, he started planting coffee in his avocado grove. His own coffee planting experiments in a region not known for coffee production led to the idea that there could be other farms diversifying their crops too, which led him to offering coffee plants to other farms, which led to Fringe, which is essentially a branded network of farms buying plants, collaborating on production and technology, producing coffee beans to roast, and creating a local premium coffee experience. Along the coast between Solvang and San Diego, California, There are already more than 70 Fringe Network farmers with more than 100,000 coffee plants in the ground. The way I understand it, it's kind of like a bunch of farmers growing coffee with a unified support system from Fringe, with Jay at the top directing the operation. He'll explain much better what they're up to, what challenges they've faced, and what is to come. Not just for Fringe, but for the growth of coffee in Southern California. As they say it, Fringe is building California's coffee industry from seedling to bean. While you're listening today, check out FringeCoffee.com and at Fringe Coffee on Instagram to get some behind-the-scenes coffee farming stories or to learn more about what goes into producing the beans that make up a cup of coffee. A lot more about Fringe, our industry partner updates, and a map of the coffee belt can be found in the newest Roast West Coast newsletter, which you can read and subscribe to at RoastWestCoast.com for free. There's also a paid subscription If you'd like to help support the creation of this show and all of the other coffee content that we're putting out, when you subscribe to either the free or paid version, you'll get this podcast and the newsletter sent directly to you every time a new episode drops. Just enter your email in the box that says enter email. You can also follow at roast west coast on Instagram or join the roast west coast coffee group on Facebook to talk coffee with other coffee lovers and even some of the coffee professionals that appear on this show. I hope to see you there soon. Right now, refill your cup of coffee, because it is time to get into this interview with Jay Rusky, farmer, CEO, and founder at Fringe Coffee. And because of technical difficulties, I'm going to try this once again. Jay, welcome to the uh, Roast West Coast podcast. I appreciate you being here.
1: Uh, it's nice to be here, Ryan. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to your audience. I think we have a lot in common.
0: <laughs> I think so, too, and, and I, was, I was saying to you before this uh, audio kicked in, but uh, the audience that I have is, is very curious about things and how things work and where they come from, and that's, uh, that's part of the reason I do the show is because I, I get excited about something, and I just want to keep going down that rabbit hole until I've got it figured out. I'd like to start with uh, a little bit, just for people who don't know, what is Fringe Coffee? Uh, is it a farm? Is it a roastery? Is it a, a brand? Is it a network? It seems like there's a lot going on, and I was hoping you could give me just a, uh, an overview of what it is.
1: No, that, I, I, That's a good question. And it, it's, it's something pretty fabulous uh, that I've been working on for many years. I'm a farmer of many crops for the last 33 years. But I formed French Coffee to be a whole solution for farmers, uh, in which we grow commercial coffee in Southern California in the coastal corridors. And what we do is we we are doing some of the finest coffees in the world, but we're doing it in a way in which we're helping from the plant material to the farmers to the post harvest to the all the way to the roasting, direct to the consumer experience. So we're this whole solution in uh coffee that has probably never been seen before and if you're curious um, this is a good way to to learn about coffee and it's also i think we're at a good time in the um, the coffee market to to be out there and do something that was similar to what wine did 30 years ago or what craft beer is doing right now to bring the consumer closer to the farm
0: sure i mean California isn't traditionally thought of as a coffee farming community. I don't think. I mean, we're we're used to coffee coming from Latin America, from Ethiopia. Uh, in the United States, really, Hawaii is kind of the only place I think of as, as a right. coffee producer. And you mentioned you've you've got thirty years of farming. What made you think you know what I should do is I should try to plant coffee?
1: Well. I've been growing a lot of different crops for 30 years. I started off with avocados and cherimoyas. I uh, expanded into looking for other crops that would support my farm in a year round basis. And I farm Goodland Organics just um, northwest of San Barbara, California. And so I started working with micro citrus like caviar, limes, lychees, and longans. And trying to find the next crop, I worked with the University of California Small Farm Extension Service. Uh, looking at, at new crops, which is you know, California grows hundreds of crops and we're, we're always introducing something new and uh, California uh, coffee came across my radar about 22 years ago and Since then I personally am curious and started exploring coffee and growing them with avocados uh, side by side and then slowly going through the process of learning about harvest uh, learning about varieties learning about post-harvest learning about roasting while simultaneously um, the market has evolved into this uh, new craft experience premium coffees i've been uh, blessed with meeting some of the thought leaders in the industry from around the world i think They're always coming through California and being able to host people and pick their brains and get a lot of support. So uh, today, uh, French Coffee supports, uh, we're over 70 coffee farms in Southern California. We're we're approaching 100,000 trees throughout the farms uh, this spring. So um, we're beyond experimenting now. We're uh, scaling for plants. And so as a farmer, I only would Plant something that I feel like there's a market for. And so it looks like, you know, we have established that coffee can grow in California, and we're establishing that there is a, a time and need for the consumer to have a, a premium coffee experience, fresh, locally grown, and a way in which we also um, provide the farmer with more than half of the returns go back to the farmer, which I think is disruptive. We can talk more about that later. But so so we're really trying to disrupt how coffee is grown, and we're starting here in California.
0: When you say 70 farms, are those 70 fringe farms, or are those other farmers who are growing fringe coffee plants?
1: So they're, well, yeah, they're part of our network farms, So they're growing fringe coffee plants. We have a, um, Because early on, uh, my early success created a curiosity by other farmers who wanted to um, diversify their coffee or their planting portfolio. So by um, incorporating to Fringe, I was able to provide a a network of growers or uh, uh, advisors to help get coffee planted. Um, So the farmers come to us. We evaluate their property from soil, water, um, environmental conditions, and then they purchase trees. And then we advise with those farmers how to grow them and um, problem solve and optimization. And then when uh, in year three and by year four, they're harvesting, we support them with post-harvest technologies and sales. So um, it's a it's a unique network. And so they're, they are part of the fringe network so far, you know, and, and we've been trying to create a culture around it, kind of like the wineries do. And so it, it's a fun group and um, we're, we're expanding every every season.
0: You just said four years. Is that does it take four years from the start of this process to get a
1: crop out? Yep. It's a perennial crop. So like lemons, avocados, pistachios, almonds, when you plant a tree, and, you know, we think of a coffee as a shrub, but they're like a tree. It takes uh, a, a growing four seasons really to get your crop off.
0: Oh wow! I mean, that's a that's a real commitment as a farmer to, to take that chance. I would think.
1: Yeah, in California, but you know, it does bring up the fact that you know we have a, a, you know, the, the millions of farmers around the world who are growing old varieties um, that don't like have. You know, the need newer varieties that are hybrids to help them get through climate change and keep up with markets and so us so we need to change crops and you're asking a, a farmer in the developing world to change crops and wait four years for cash flow that's a hard ask and so a lot that's why you don't see a lot of conversion in globally with coffee and it's also why fringe we have a breeding program and we are developing superior plant material in an industry that's really lacking that so So, so there's a demand for quality and vigorous plant material. And and that's where we started with fringe.
0: That's really interesting. What about you? Did you have a a first experience with coffee that got you interested in this? Or was it more of an opportunity that you saw from the farming side of things? I mean, do you even drink coffee? I should ask that because (laughs) not everyone I talk to does. Uh,
1: well, yes, I, I enjoy coffee, you know, and I've been enjoying coffee since I was a teenager when I was surfing early in the morning and flipping burgers at concession stands and stuff. But, you know, it wasn't me just waking up one day and saying, we should do coffee. It's been, been a, quite an evolution, you know, you know, planted 40 trees here on the farm Will they survive the winter, Will they, produce, will they flower, Will they produce. So it's been this ongoing pr- progression, uh, tons of mistakes and learning. Um, you know, you just trying to figure out how to ferment coffee, how to gain the mills. How do you mill coffee? No one knows that there's a parchment after you ferment and dry it. You got to remove the parchment. How do you sort it? So there's all these um, bottlenecks I had to like continue to overcome. But the rewards are like I do remember moments in my life where like the first time I roasted and enjoyed my cup of coffee. You know, like wow, I grew this here. This coffee was grown, processed. Uh, and roasted and consumed all on the same piece of land, and that I mean there was a, a fun award reward there. And then there was another one where um, the Coffee Review gave me a 27th in the world in 2014, um, which kind of was a big significant was a significant for me for a cat tour. I got 91 points on, and that was a very public like milestone for me because I have always been called crazy. You can't do that. A lot of people say why and um so we've overcome that and then there's a couple of people in my life who are respected cuppers and coffee people who who have cut their coffee or have had doubts and they've changed their minds by just enjoying the coffee so those are kind of more internal like wow i convinced him yeah we can do that and that that's what inspires me to keep on moving on this pathway
0: there is an interesting intrinsic reward to growing something. I think a lot of people have discovered that during the pandemic, whether it was getting a tomato plant or a lemon tree or whatever. And uh, we have a lemon tree on our patio and it's going to be, when that first lemon comes out, it's going to be the most expensive lemon in the history of the world because we've been watering that plant for two years and taking care of it and loving it. And it's finally got its very first uh, little lemon growth on it.
1: Yeah. That that lemon will produce for 20 or 30 years if you take good care of it. And so Cost will go down a lot but hopefully your appreciation remains
0: remain the same it certainly does i know that there are certainly nights where i'll hear something in the patio and i'll panic and think that there's a raccoon or a possum or something that's uh attacking my lemon tree and that's never actually happened but i just am so protective of it fringe what where does that name come from i think i have an idea but i'm curious to know if there if you had mentioned creating a network and branding like a winery so i'm wondering where that name comes from
1: well so it's the brand of my, the, the coffee company that I've created. I originally started off as a sole proprietor in Goodland Organics, which is my farm name. But realizing that I needed both capital and human expertise, I needed to incorporate so um, to build something bigger than myself. So I, I formed Fringe Coffee. And the, and the word Fringe was originally, there's there a local magazine called uh, the Santa Barbara Independent, and they did a feature article called Growing on the Fringe spelled G, with the G-E appropriately. And that was, uh, you know, we're 11 degrees north of the um, Tropic of Cancer, which is the unofficial coffee belt. So I'm always pushing innovation. I'm always on the fringe. I see fringe being defined as on the edge, but still connected. And it's kind of a definition of what we're doing, both physically and growing coffee here, and then my need to innovate and to recreate and so I put a J on it just to, to mess with things. I'm not a great speller anyways, <laughs> but um, so, so that's where the fringe comes from. And I, I think when people experience our coffees, they'll go, wow, this is a little different. You know, some of our coffees are, are different in the way they grow, how we approach. We use a lot of California techniques to, to a crop that usually just like relies on rain. We irrigate. You know, we do things. We furrigate differently, new standards of that. So even with post-harvest, we're trying to innovate. So I think Fringe does a good job of capturing a lot of what the spiritual drive of the company is.
0: You had uh, you just mentioned uh, coffee belt and, and what you're talking about there is Tropic of Cancer to kind of Tropic of Capricorn around the world is essentially where you find coffee being grown just for people who are listening. As you're growing into this company and more coffee farms are are, this patchwork is growing have the challenges been more environmental or more on the business side of things of trying to create a new product in a place that maybe wasn't known for it or from, I'm I'm thinking about just, you are on the fringe, which means there's going to be unique challenges that maybe haven't been seen before by other examples for you to follow you. You're, you're trailblazing instead of following. So there, that always creates difficulties. I'm wondering well, if there's anything that stands out to you.
1: Well, there's, so both environmental and business have the challenges. We're vertically integrated. That's what we're we're trying to do. Take probably one of the most fragmented value chains, food products on the planet. You know, like they say, like coffee generally has to touch twenty sets of hands from the farmer to the consumer. We're trying to like squeeze that down the farmer, fringe consumer. So that itself is a challenge. I think environmentally, I'll start there with plant adaptations. You know, looking at coffee just coffee has really no investment in the last hundred years on development of varieties. Uh, it's just their there, coffee production has been in developing worlds and they don't have the benefits of research institutions. And so, so bringing coffee to California was like, oh, we need science around this. And so luckily I, I work a lot with UC Davis on several different platforms from plant science to coffee center. And so we, we have these great resources. And our, my goal is to implement them in the field and work with farmers to figure out spacing, adaptability, water, pH, nutrition, and and how it works in California and, you know, things like uh, the winds. I've been doing a lot of work with windbreaks, no matter what crop you grow in Southern California, we're we're seeing a more turbulent environment. So it's kind of putting us in the forefront of um, resilient agriculture. Um, I'm doing a lot of layered systems. So I'm doing coffee and avocados side by side and other crops. So something I did as a, a silver prior is now being um, scaled up to an acreage and being adapted. Uh, organic agriculture is something I've been doing for years. So uh, Fringe has allowed us to uh, help a lot of farmers go into conversions to more sustainable, organic, and as far as regenerative practices. So that's a, a touching point. From the market side, I think as we plant these crops, you know, it's it's three, four, and five years for them to come into production. So, trying to lead that effort and make a new experience, you know, for for me, I you know, if I grow my coffee and do all this, I'm not going to put it in a curing pod and just like all right, I get I'm out the door. I'm going to <laughs> take my time, go and respect and appreciate the amount of work that myself or my fellow farmers have done and enjoy the brew experience. I'm trying to find opportunities to express that to our consumers. I've had 27 years of doing farmer's markets with all my exotic crops. So I'm really a, a, a person that likes to interface with their consumer. So I think we're, we're setting up for a good coffee tourism experience, educational programs. I think coming out of the pandemic, um, I think all of us, you know, kind of want to have a little more sense of potential exploration and if there's foods around that. So I am spending a fair amount of my business energy trying to create frameworks so that those of people that live in Southern California can go have an experience that's similar to a wine experience, but in the coffee world. And I think that would be a great way to Really share with people how difficult it is to make a really good cup of coffee and the fine level of appreciation for that.
0: Sure, one thing that I mean it is very evident when if someone goes to fringecoffee.com and just clicks on your shop is that this is not the same. This pr- coffee isn't priced the same as coffee you might get at your local grocery store. It's fairly expensive. Which the first thing I thought of was if that's the if that's what is considered a fair price for the coffee, then Is the price that I've been paying fair and what is going into that coffee? And so do you envision this being with your your Patricka Farms always being a premium product in the marketplace or an experience driven product like you're mentioning for coffee tourism or where do you see the products that come out of this this effort fitting into the coffee marketplace? Because, you know, I, I love coffee, but it would be difficult for me to buy a $75 bag of coffee for my everyday coffee drinking, right?
1: Right, so our first goal, and there's several goals, one is quality. I want our coffee you know, to be um, up there with the best coffees in the world that fit the price. And so uh, I think many of our coffees are there and I think we can get even higher uh, as I get more crop, more technology, more people in play. I think as we expand our production, we'll have a, quite a variety of offerings. Of not only roasted coffee, roasted or we have coffee byproducts uh, that we can allow a wider range of experiences. Right now, we sixty um, percent of what is paid for. So, if you spend a dollar, sixty percent, sixty cents of that goes directly back to the farmer, um, because I want the farmer for the first time, not almost a day across, but specifically for coffee crops, to be rewarded for their efforts of quality in the global coffee world it's about three percent return for coffees from reports that i read that the small farmers the medium-sized farmers are not breaking even um, that was before the pandemic they have old coffee plants they're they're, they're price takers and something has to change on that front um, they're getting squeezed by high production coffees like from brazil and so they're kind of stuck and I'm hoping that California, and we're young right now in our in our cycle, but can at least open up the awareness that these farmers, if you want them to exist and innovate and be sustainable, do all the things we have to do, there has to be some disruption in the cycle of how those farmers are rewarded. Today, there's quite a few farmers that can grow quality coffee, but it either gets commingled with other lower-quality coffees or the retailer is the only person who benefits from high quality coffee and higher returns. So I think Fringe can represent a deeper understanding of the coffee supply chain. And those coffees that we create right now are are going to be your 5 a.m. cup of coffee. I get it. It's going to be your afternoon. I hope people can buy it and share it and appreciate it together, take the time to brew it, and then eventually um, be able to say, hey, I went to this farm. I saw what these guys do. This is amazing coffee. There's a whole background dude that we can relate because this is in our backyard in Southern California. So that's part of our early goals. And I think uh, we're still early and there'll be a lot of experiences to share with the the locals.
0: Well, it's really interesting. I think the more people learn, and I think people listening to the show in particular, they, they care about coffee and ultimately you end up caring about the people behind it. And when you, you see a news report saying that the the coffee commodity price has dropped to the lowest point in history, despite the fact that we're in a pandemic and despite the fact that there's all these new challenges with weather and, and on and on. It makes you start wondering, well, wait a minute, How, you know, maybe getting a cheap cup of coffee isn't the best thing. Finding that, that gr- middle ground where I'm getting a fair price, but I'm also ensuring that that money is going into places where it needs to be. In a lot of cases, I think I put trust in the businesses I've chosen to trust to, to do that step as a consumer. And it's interesting that what, as I'm thinking it through talking to you is what I like about this idea of fringe, a lot of things, but it's really transparent in the idea that like you are fringe and the farmers are local and they're, they're people in these communities that are growing a product, which is now being sold in these communities. And that's a really unique it's a unique thing, I think in agriculture in general. Well,
1: thank you. No, I appreciate it. I think one of the things that I do when I go out for, um, where I used to go out for like a glass of wine <laughs> or, or a beer and, you know, Oregon a $6, you know, six ounce or a $10, six ounce glass of wine. I'm like, wow, if this was coffee, this would be a $300 pound coffee. <laughs> so just kind of reflecting on the values, you know, like you're getting these not expensive high alcohol beers or like eight bucks that took, you know, six months to make and no one's, Complain about that price yet if you had an ounce cup of coffee and you spent 10 bucks for that, but that farmer took five years to make that. Yeah. You know, like there's this interesting value component about the, the cost of making food. So I, I hope to have more talking points around that, at least what Fringe is doing, uh, awaken some level of awareness like, hey, there was a lot of effort to make my coffee and make it this well. And, and hopefully the effort to reach out and connect the farmer and consumer better.
0: Sure. Well, and I think even with craft beer, it took it took years of people learning and going to small breweries and meeting the people behind the things before they understood that buying the $4 six-pack at the grocery store wasn't as beneficial not for them health from a health standpoint either, but also just in general like that wasn't really supporting the industry that they thought. And and the more you learn about a product or the people behind the industry, the more the easier it is to say, "Yeah, I'm going to spend XYZ because I know that this is this is creating a more sustainable community, a more sustainable economy. I think about my dad in Florida. You know, he still he makes sure that he gets his senior discount when he gets his McDonald's coffee, which is I think fifty nine cents or something. And I think about that coffee versus you know a five or a six or a seven dollar cup of coffee I might buy locally, and and how for him it's just something he does in the morning, and for me I really enjoy that cup of coffee and it's more of a it's more of a value reward to my life not saying that if i'm on the road i'm not going to stop at the, a diner if i have to you know just yeah. to get get down the road but in general i think that it creates it creates a value add in in a life in in which especially this year we've learned to appreciate things like that that have made us understand what things we prioritize whether it's coffee or it's interacting with other people, where those values are is something I think everyone's really had a chance to clarify if they wanted to.
1: Yeah. Well I think coffee provides that like cross section experiences where I I have like a brew kit I carry with me. So like I'll go with friends, like to a campground next to the ocean, and I'll do a pour over and sit there and enjoy that coffee experience. Say, well this is a you know coffee grown California. I get to experience it with friends and so I, I try to create an intersection of food and friends and, and fellowship. And, and so uh, and going to the wineries in Santa Barbara, which are just over the mountains, that's what people strive to do. They come up here and they go to the winery and enjoy their wines. And they, next time they um, actually uh, they buy a case and friends come over for dinner, they pull it out. I'm like, hey, this is an experience <laughs> that I like to share with you. So, so it's, fun, it's a fun industry and it's a fun thing we're doing.
0: I, ha- I have to, I'm going to guess that when you're, when you are drinking coffee outside of, outside of your working life, I'm picturing you as a black coffee guy. Is that right? Or are you, what are you drinking if you're just out and you stop in a coffee shop somewhere?
1: I'm generally, a, 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 I call a naked coffee drinker. I, I always, I, for a while, I was just trying to pick out the varieties, like what variety of coffee is it? And trying to um, characterize the co- black coffee experience based on varietals and cultivars. Uh, now I've been appreciating blends and the full body experience. I mean, I'm not a Q grader by any means, but I do look for certain characteristics, probably not the common coffee drinker drinks. So uh, so I'm in a huge exploratory mode of operation. In, in my own house, you know, I, I drink what I call the misfits. So like when we roast it and they get coffees that um, maybe during the roast, they've they popped or they did some a defect for visual defect. We, I drink those and I really enjoy them. I call them misfits because they're great coffees, but they don't like a misfit. They don't, they're not up to standard. Like, oh, they also <laughs> look good, but they taste good and they perform well. So so that's kind of like my, my wife and I, that's our morning cup of coffee. And then I love, I love going to different coffee shops and seeing what they're offering, how they're, they're sharing their experiences from the cups to the ambiance to how the barista interacts. I think... we did some market research and how the baristas are are really looked to not just for a quality cut but for information would love to see more coffee shops go out there and and have the barista be a little more engaged with a consumer i know it's hard it's like playing the drums and singing (laughs) but it's um it's actually the customers really looking for a little more insight into their coffee from people behind the counter
0: yeah. And customers are getting more and more educated. You know, they're listening to our Coffee Smarter, they're reading, they're doing, they, they care more about their product the same way beer people do. I mean, I was in beer for 20 years before moving to California. And within the first week working in, in the beer industry here, I was getting asked questions that I had never been asked in 20 years because it was a more educated consumer. And I had to step up, you know, my game in that area. Looking out, you know, three, five, 10 years where do you see fringe going as we are hopefully phasing into a more normal phase of life in 2021 2022 and just where you obviously said you're scaling up where is fringe going to be in the next couple of years
1: i'm always looking ahead i guess if you're a perennial crop farmer you're always looking 10 years down the road and i want to make southern california a leader in this premium craft coffee movement by having the coffee farms here and the consumer right out the door. I believe that we can have a good position in northern San Diego County and Santa Barbara Ventura County as having multiple um, locations for people to go and experience coffee. I have a breeding program, so I, I hope that we can take what we're doing here in Southern California and expand some plant material influences around the world. And when people see Fringe Coffee, they'll say, oh, what are these guys doing next? How are they not only innovating on plant material, but the experience? So I think we have a pretty good foothold. You know, COVID has, yes, slowed things down, but I've been in the farming food production industry for 30 years, and there's been such a quantum shift in the food supply system and how we are interacting in, in, in our food um, with our consumers. And so I'm, I'm super optimistic that this is a good time for us to, to be out there and give uh, those people who are fanatical about coffee and general food production a place to go and experience. So I, I have big, big dreams of Fringe for our uh, coffee farmers and, and those who support us. So.
0: Well, I'm excited to see where it goes. As the consumer and in a very now environment, instant rewards, being in farming is, is definitely a different way of thinking in growing things. I grew up in a farming family and there is something to be said for, you know, working with your hands on what you're doing today, but knowing that you're already preparing down the road. Is there anything that we didn't cover today about, about Fringe or about you that you want people to know about the company and, and, uh, Anything that I missed?
1: Well, uh, I was just still thinking about your comment, you know, knowing that you grew up as a uh, farming family, and uh, you're talking about your lemon tree, how much you think about your lemon tree at night. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that's a farmer. And can you ampl- amplify that? You have know, like five thousand lemon trees out there, <laughs> and the wind's blowing, and you know, and, and that's the uh, that's the farmer lifestyle. It's a like risky environment, and so the rewards are, are pretty high. If you pull off the crop, and I think we've systemized these things uh, for the farmer, and um, I think we're at the point where we can kind of begin to share that experience with everybody else. And I, 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 it's, it's moments like these, talking to you, that I think make a difference. How to get out there? Uh, how to share the fringe experience? You know, we have more coffees coming. We'll start blending. Uh, we have some really fantastic, unique growers from a personality standpoint. You know, uh, they have unique farmland. Every farm is slightly different. Um, they're going to have a little different toir. We're, we're pushing fermentation science. We're pushing a lot of different things on the post-harvest. So I think uh, you just need to stay tuned to fringe. And, and I think there's a lot of things that we can share with everybody. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity, Ryan, to get to know you and, and give me this opportunity. I think if you come through Santa Barbara, you should give me a call.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, and I know I, as I'm thinking about this show being out in the world, I know the first thing I'm going to get asked is, why didn't you ask about climate change? And the answer is because I'm going to convince Jay to talk to me again, and we're going to talk about all kinds of other things. <laughs> yeah, I'd be
1: happy to participate in that. We've, we've, there's been a lot of discussion from our farm advisors about being more resilient systems what we're going to do and so i'm, I'm at the point where I, I feel like we're on the front end of developing resilient farming systems just accepting the fact that we're we're farming in more extreme turbulent environments so yeah I was just planning on a, a date for that and uh let me know
0: sounds great it was great to meet you i just really appreciate your time and your patience with my technical difficulties and uh i'm excited to to try some fringe in the near future
1: yeah, we should. We'll, we'll get you a, a bag of coffee, Hopefully, and you can, you can uh, comment on that. So, thanks, Ryan.
0: While you are here today, I want to remind you to follow the Voice of San Diego podcast. It is the San Diego region's most popular public affairs and politics podcast. Every Friday, hosts Scott Lewis, Andy Keats, and Sarah Libby break down the biggest local news and moves in San Diego politics. It's a must-listen for local news nerds, myself included. You can find the Voice of San Diego podcast wherever you are listening to podcasts. Now back to Roast West Coast. When I was a kid, my brothers and I would go and spend a week or two at the family farm on my mom's side. Both of my parents grew up farming, and either they wanted us to have some of that experience, or it was just a good way to get a two-week vacation from their kids, and probably cheaper than summer camp. Neither I nor my brothers were ever really farming. We would get up early with our cousins, we'd follow them around the barn, help bring in the dairy cows, pick up some eggs in the coop, or collect the maple syrup. But it was my aunt, uncle, and cousins doing the real work. I was jealous my cousins got to drive the tractors, and they were jealous that I didn't have to get up before dawn year-round. Nearly 30 years later, I still remember those visits, and, more now than I even did then, I respect and appreciate the intensiveness of the farming work, the dependence on not just your own skills, but the land, the weather, and the overall resilience of the farm. I also realize now, you have to be a little bit crazy to take on farming, and I mean that with the greatest amount of respect I can muster. Those early experiences are the reason I wanted to talk to Jay today, to try to understand why he is doing what he is doing. His kindness about my patio lemon tree aside, I can't really relate to his experiences, other than to compare it to those I saw growing up, and those stories relayed to me by my own parents and grandparents about their experiences on the farm. The reward of farming seems to be both in the work and in the result, and I'd venture that having a little stubborn streak doesn't hurt you along the way. Even if you hadn't heard of Fringe Farms before this show, you may have heard of some of the farms in their network. Mraz Family Farms, owned by pop singer Jason Mraz, gets a lot of attention. And in fact, my fellow North County San Diegan just released his latest Geisha coffee, which is notable for its impressive cup qualities of peach pie, dried apricot, and jasmine. It was just released for sale on the FringeCoffee.com shop, and it will certainly be a unique coffee experience. It's a good example of how Fringe is providing a platform for the farmers in their network. Later this season, I'll be interviewing one of those farmers that are under the Fringe umbrella, just to get a different perspective on the whole network system. Kyle Rosa of Blue Tail Coffee Grove and the soon-to-be-open Breakers Cafe in Del Mar, California, will join the show in a few weeks. Until then, we need to learn some coffee vocabulary. Today's terms were inspired by my conversation with Jay and the farming theme. The first word is cultivars or cultivated variety. It's a word Jay used earlier in the show, and I realized as I was editing that I wasn't really sure what he meant. I found a bunch of confusing definitions. I even recorded an earlier version of this segment right here, but I still wasn't sure that I really understood. Then I found the following explanation on study.com. Cultivars are, simply put, types of plants that have been cultivated and bred by humans. Cultivars are created when people take species of plants and breed them for specific traits, such as taste, color, or resistance to pests. The plant is bred purposefully until the desired trait becomes very strong and noticeable, kind of like growing a geisha coffee for its light and floral flavors. Full credit goes to study.com because that is a really simple explanation that a lot of other websites made really complicated. I'm looking at you, Merriam-Webster. The second term isn't a dictionary definition, but it is something Jay said during the show which I plan to steal and use in the future. Instead of ordering a black coffee, I'm going to be ordering a naked coffee. So to define it, a naked coffee is any style of coffee without additives, like milk or mocha. For example, I might step into a cafe and say, I'll have a naked Muraz Family Farms geisha pour-over, please. I would be remiss if I closed this show without acknowledging that what Fringe Farms is doing is pretty revolutionary in the industry, not just from the production of coffee standpoint, but also the elimination of middlemen, and the idea that coffee might not have to be imported from one of the traditional coffee farming countries in the coffee belt. There are larger economic and cultural systems that come into play here, and French has avid supporters of their approach. I've also met some equally avid detractors, more about the concept than maybe the company or Jay himself. If you start digging into the history of coffee, you'll discover that coffee has had a much, much larger impact on economies worldwide than you may have realized. Coffee is drunk in every country in the world in some fashion, and more than a few wars have been started over it or just had its soldiers fueled by it. If you're looking to dig into some of that coffee history, I really recommend the book Uncommon Grounds: The History of Coffee and How It Transformed Our World by Mark Pendergrast. I picked up this book from the lending library at Coffee Cycle a few years ago and was just blown away by it. It's a long coffee history, but it is broken up in such a way that you can read a section, set it down, Process and then come back to it at any time without really losing the story. That is it for today's episode. I couldn't have done it without all of you listening. Or the extra cups of Mostra's Brazil Oberon roasted coffee that fueled me while I was producing this episode. A shout out to Noah Halcott who joined the Roast West Coast Coffee Group on Facebook this week. It's nice to see that that group is starting to grow. A big thank you to my industry legacy partners at Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Leap Coffee, Steady State Roasting, Marea Coffee, Mostra Coffee, Cafe La Terre, First Light Whiskey, and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. I just picked up some decaf coffee from Steady State, and I have some on the way from Leap Coffee, just to try this week to see if my bias against decaf still applies, or if craft decaf is the real deal. Also, I'm going to use it to make some afternoon coffee cocktails, just to enjoy while the sun sets and the breeze off the Pacific turns cool. It's pretty great to live in California, and I'm already looking forward to a future episode with Jay back on the show. To dig into the impacts of climate change and about what it takes to create a new coffee growing region. A reminder to follow at Fringe Coffee, that's fringe with a J, on social media and check out their shop at fringecoffee.com. You can find links in this episode's show notes. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'll be back on Friday with a brand new Coffee Smarter episode. It's my first with new coffee expert, Siri Simran Kulsa, the executive director and head roaster at Lofty Coffee. She teaches me a little bit more about caffeine in coffee and some of the methods used to create a decaf coffee bean. If you've been enjoying these shows, please share Roast West Coast with your coffee-loving friends. Tell them to search for Roast West Coast on any of the major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Or, better yet, just tell them to sign up for the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com and I'll send it to them, in an email, every Tuesday and Friday. And if you are posting about your coffee experience please tag the show at roast west coast on Instagram or join the Roast West Coast Facebook group and start a new coffee conversation. Links to all of that stuff will be in this episode's show notes. Finally, if you are almost out of coffee, find a local coffee roaster or coffee shop to purchase beans from and maybe pick up something fancy while you're there. A honey cinnamon latte or a pour-over with the really good light roasted Ethiopian beans. You deserve it. And there are plenty of great roasters in Southern California to try. This episode of the Roast West Coast podcast was written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through another day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee. your hat san diego's first and longest running local beer podcast is coming to take a place on your podcast playlist it's beer night in san diego prepare yourselves as beer night in san diego drops a new episode each and every week right into your smartphone or listening device Featuring hard-hitting local beer discussion, the absolute crushing of newly released local beers, body-jolting laughter, and segments that will knock your socks off. Admission is free and everyone is invited. Mom, dad, even grandma can't get enough. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Beer Night in San Diego. With new episodes available everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't miss it.